we can get started tonight. Um, turn in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 2. We'll continue there. And last week we went over verses uh, 1 through 3 where um, Paul talked about how great his struggle was for the church at Colossae. And he wanted them to know it specifically. He wanted, to know, wanted them to know it because um, he ultimately wanted them to know the assurance of faith in Christ, the assurance that believers have uh, because of their faith in Christ. He did not want them to be um, unassured or unaware. He did want, not want them to be shaken. Remember, the, the context surrounding all this is that there is false teaching coming into the church. Paul wanted them to know that it's in Christ where true knowledge and wisdom and understanding are to be found. He continually points them back to Christ, and that's, that is where it is to be found. He said, in fact, in verse 3, in referencing Christ, he says, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. All the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, he says. Wisdom and knowledge about what? Where does wisdom and knowledge, where does the wisdom and knowledge that we have in Christ end? Nowhere. It doesn't. Right? We have all wisdom and knowledge is found in Christ. Uh, it goes beyond, we should understand this, goes beyond knowledge of salvation only. Okay? That is true. We find knowledge of salvation. Um, Paul says to Timothy in Timothy, 2 Timothy 3.15, in describing the Word of God, he says, the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. So certainly, uh, we are able to come to knowledge of Christ for salvation through the Scriptures. Um, but is the Word of Christ only for knowledge about salvation? No, it's not. We can look at other places in the Scripture and see Though Paul is talking about that this knowledge is found in Christ, it is not limited to just the knowledge of the gospel and about salvation, but life in general for Christians. 2 Peter 1.3 says, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence. All things pertaining to life and godliness. Paul said to Timothy in 1 Timothy 4.8, For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. And these are important things about the knowledge and understanding, the wisdom that we have in Christ. It's not just about salvation. And by saying just, it's not me belittling salvation. Right? That is the most important thing. But it goes beyond that. And the point is, Paul is not just talking about knowledge for salvation, but for living rightly as Christians, for believing rightly so that we won't stumble or stray from the truth into error. Um, and this knowledge and understanding is for the life of Christians now, today. We have this for our daily lives today, but also for the life to come. Um, and it is found according to Paul, in the mystery of Christ. Okay, prior to salvation, truth is, is veiled. It's veiled to unbelievers. The truth is hidden in Christ. 
when a person is born again, they have this truth that was veiled is now unveiled. It's revealed. It's in Christ. It's in His Word. And we can now walk by His Word according to the Spirit. And that brings us to verse 4. We got through 1 through 3 last week. It brings us to verse 4. And Paul's, the reason that he states that he wrote these things, the reason he wanted them to know that the truth is only found in Christ. Um, This is one of those helpful passages that we find in Scripture where the author says exactly why he wrote something. And Paul very graciously here tells us why he wrote the previous words. He says in verse 4, I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. Okay, let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for this evening. Thank you for a time of singing and, and singing with the children. We pray, Lord, that as they go off to their classes, that like us, they would learn more about Christ, or that we would find uh, this to be true, that all wisdom and understanding and knowledge comes through Christ. And we thank you for that. We ask, Lord, that you would teach us tonight through your word. Help us to, be, uh, to have understanding. Help us, Lord, to be um, grounded in the truth of your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So after going through chapter 1, what would you say was under attack by plausible arguments in the Colossian church? Paul's talking about plausible arguments here, and that's why he wrote this. What were the perhaps the plausible arguments that were coming into the Colossian church after we went through chapter 1? Somebody want to sum that up? The deity of Christ, right. Anything else? Okay, the humanity of Christ also. Good. Okay, so, so that it's normal for there to be afflictions for God's people. That's not some sign that you are not part of that. Yes. Uh, and another key point is the work of Christ, right? What Christ did for salvation for believers. All this stuff was under attack. All these doctrine, biblical doctrines were under attack in the church. They're being attacked by those coming in with what Paul called plausible arguments. Um, and it doesn't mean that those were the only doctrines under attack, but they were certainly the most significant. I mean, once you do away with the deity of Christ, the humanity of Christ, the work of Christ, you have nothing left for, for salvation. You, you do not have the church. You do not have eternal life. Um, those persons who were deceiving and trying to deceive were doing so because they too had been deceived. Or they knew they were telling lies and they did so for some sort of personal gain. That's something that happens as well. Either way, it's wrong on their part. Whoever's bringing in the lies, whatever their motivations are, um, the, the lies are lies. And you see, on a, on a basic level, what was facing the people was... Um, the question of the source, right? Does truth come from Christ, or can I find it somewhere else? Or, even more dangerous, does wisdom and knowledge come from Christ and another source? Do I need both? Right? No. The answer is no, but this is sort of the question. This is what the people are facing there as they hear these things, 
any of us would be faced with those questions, and we need to know how to answer those things as Christians. And what was going on was, was not folks coming into the church with some new teaching about a religion that had nothing to do with the words God or the word Jesus, but they were plausible. These things, that, these arguments they were bringing were plausible because they used those words, precisely because they used Christian-sounding words, right? But what they come up, came up with gave a different explanation, or uh, they came to a different conclusion. And the result is a different God, a different Jesus, a different way of salvation, which, of course, is no salvation at all if it's not through Christ. So, so that asks, uh, begs the question, right? What is the problem with a different God or Jesus or a different way of salvation? How do we boil that down? What is the problem with that? There's only one God. There's only one God. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. There's only one way of salvation, and that's through Christ. Yeah. What was that? Right. Absolutely. Yeah. So, so there you go. Right? They use the words, familiar sounding words, but they mean something different. Okay? Um, and if, if it is not the biblical God, the biblical Jesus, the biblical way of salvation through Christ, then it doesn't save. And this is why it's so dangerous. This is why Paul wrote this. And Paul's saying, I don't want you to be deluded, right? I don't want you to be deluded by or deceived by these people and their plausible arguments. And the idea of being deluded is to uh, begin to reckon wrongly and thereby being deceived and by false reasoning, okay? To, to be fooled or persuaded to think wrongly. You see, they, we saw in chapter 1, they had the truth, right? The, the truth came to them. They wouldn't have been saved otherwise without the truth coming to them. They, these would not be Christians. Paul would not be referring to them as saints. So they had the truth. Uh, he affirmed that in chapter 1. But he did not want them ultimately to be taken from that truth into error, being sidetracked by error. And, of course, for those who, there, who were there who were not yet saved, being pulled into that error ultimately binds salvation from being a part of what they're hearing. They don't, they don't receive the truth. They don't get saved. They're left in their sins, right? A, a, a Christian who's perhaps deceived for a time, it's not good, but you don't lose your salvation if you are truly saved, but you can go off into error and cause a lot of damage to your own life, to your own testimony. You can cause damage to others who you may be spreading that to who aren't believers and keep that, the truth veiled from them because you're in error. But they had the truth. And Paul, was, he wanted them to not be taken away by these plausible arguments. And interestingly, James has the only other use of this word that Paul used here in the New Testament when he writes in James 1.22, he says, But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. It's the only other time in the New Testament that that's used. And in that case, it was a, it was a self-deception, right? Hearing the words of God, but 
but not being doers of that, not following that. And it's, it's a self-deception. So where do you think this kind of, we're talking about plausible arguments, right? Where do you think this kind of deception first appears in the Bible? In Genesis, right? In the garden. With Eve, exactly, right? You know, he, he's having this conversation with Eve using words that God used, right? Having a conversation about the thing that God said to them, but it's being twisted, right? Um, so we see it right away. And ultimately, this kind of deception is what brought about the fall, right? It's, it's what brought sin and death into the world. So it's no less dangerous today than it was back then. And we should recognize that this is, this is probably the most common tool of deception that Satan uses, the twisting of the Word of God in our lives. Um, he may not appear to you in a, the form of a serpent, right? You may not go out in your garden and have a conversation with a snake in a tree, um, but he certainly appears in those doing his bidding, and, and they're not they're not a little red devil sitting on your shoulder, whispering in your ear, and then the little angel on the other side whispering on the other side, and there's this conflict. That's not what's going on. Um, but certainly we have these lies that come about in the form of teachers, of people teaching things. Um, these are lies that come disguised as truth. They have bits of truth, or they use the language of truth, without actually being true. Paul calls, it, calls these plausible arguments. Something that is plausible is something that seems reasonable when explained, but is it? Uh, this is something persuasive, but not ultimately true. This is the idea of talking someone into believing something that's not true. It's the exact tactic of criminals who victimize people over the phone, right? They call with plausible arguments. The IRS is going to arrest you if you don't pay these fines, right? And they want you to send them some money, right? Yeah. The vehicle warranty is going to expire if you don't pay this money. Final warning, right? <laughs> Your grandson is in jail in Mexico. He needs you to wire him money. You know, that may not sound plausible, like, well, because I don't have a grandson, so if somebody called me and said that, I wouldn't buy it, but they make enough of these calls, they get a hold of a grandparent, and they can cause fear. They even have enough information, perhaps through Google and all those things, they may even know the actual name of this person's grandson and use that name, and once that name is used, they're appealing to something in that person, Right? Or you've, you've won a prize. If you send me a $1,000 uh, $1, claim fee, I'll send you this $10,000 check. Right? These are all real, and there's many more. Um, and these are ways that, that people use this kind of plausible argument. Well, what is being appealed to in those, in those scams, in those arguments? What is being appealed to? Greed, okay? Fear. What else? Uh, okay, maybe covetousness, right? Or also anxiety, worry, yeah. Yeah. 
I saw it all the time when I was in law enforcement, and um, mostly elderly was the victims of these things. And, and sometimes people are so lonely, even when you have a conversation with them and tell them they're being scammed, they keep doing it because of that conversation. They're having this conversation, even though they're losing all this money. So something is being appealed to, right? This deceiver is using plausible-sounding things or true-sounding things that aren't actually true. Um, we, uh, how do we know, then, if what seems to be plausible is true or not? How do we know? Was that? For us as Christians, we go to the Word. We go to the Word of God. That's how we know if something's true or not. Um, when it comes to us in the form of these plausible arguments. We don't just believe it and then respond wrongly, or we shouldn't. Uh, we must check it out. And in the context of our Christian lives, we must check it out with God, with what He has said in the Bible. Find out, is this, is this true or not? And turn with me to Acts 17. As many of you know what this passage is that we're going to. should be familiar to us as Christians. How do we know if this is true? Well, we said, go to the Bible. Find out if this is true. We need to follow the Berean way. Right? That's what these people did here in this passage. In Acts 17, verses 10 through 12, and this is Paul and Silas have been sent over to Berea, right? Um, the brother, and it says in verse 10, the brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. That's kind of Paul's pattern, okay? Now, these Jews, they're talking about the ones in Berea, these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the Scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Many of them therefore believed, with not a few Greek women of high standing as well as men. Okay, so we see there that... What is the first thing they did? They, they received this word with eagerness, but they didn't just receive it and believe it good to go without checking it. Where did they go? They went to the Scriptures. Okay? And we can assume from this passage that if their search of the Scriptures showed that what Paul and Silas were preaching was false, if it didn't um, fit with the rest of the Word of God, we can assume that they would have rejected it. Yeah, yeah, they may have stoned him. I don't know, but they would have, they would have not have been deluded by a plausible argument. We could probably assume that they were were told here that they were more noble than the others. This was their pattern of going to the scriptures. I received this teaching. Well, I'm going to check and make sure it's true before I believe it. And then, um, what happens after that? Well, many rightly found the teaching and preaching of Paul and Silas to be true, to be in alignment with the Word of God, and the result is that many believed, right? Many of them believed. Many, not every, but many. So for the Colossians, they needed to check the Scriptures to know if what the Gnostics or whoever the others were that were coming with false teachings, if what they were arguing about the person work of Jesus was true, and if in examining those Scriptures they find that it's not true, then they should have rejected it. So in our day, what are, what are the ways or avenues that we can be confronted by plausible arguments? Not, not what are the arguments, but what are the 
avenues that these plausible arguments can come from. TV shows, YouTube, right? YouTube preachers, Christian bookstores, okay, true. What else? What was that? Okay, yeah, it's partial truth to be found in books or YouTube or whatever. There's partialness to it, yeah. Yeah, all popular culture, and, and you could say media, right? Church? The church? <laughs> Is that true? Can this come through the church? Yes, absolutely, absolutely. Politicians, uni- universities, families, journalists, journalists, right. That's right. So, so we have this whole huge list of avenues that this, these plausible arguments can come from. That doesn't mean that all these avenues are bad, okay? They're, they're not bad in and of themselves. You know, YouTube isn't bad necessarily. It can be. Um, if, but if the message, if this plausible argument is untrue, then that's a problem. Right, right. We have to recognize that these, these avenues can and are often used as a tool of Satan to, to spread lies, right? Um, and so that's something that we need to be aware of. So Paul's reminder makes sense. All wisdom and knowledge are found in Christ. That is who he is and what he has said, right? That's, that's for the Christian to know and understand um, don't be deluded. Go to the source of all wisdom and understanding, and that is Christ. That is His Word. That's this message He wants to get across to these people and remind them. So we talked about some of these avenues in our day of plausible arguments. Well, what are some of the plausible arguments that have been made? What are some ways over time that we have seen these plausible arguments play into people being deceived. What are, what are some of these plausible arguments ultimately? What was that? Darwinism? Okay, sure. What was that you said? Okay. Right, that is a that is a plausible argument. It's been around for a long time. You know, God created everyone. You know, we're all basically good. Um, everyone will will be saved. Uh, and w- True. Yeah, we can always. That's usually what we do, right? We compare ourselves to other human beings instead of God's standard. Yeah. <laughs> But this, this idea that, again, here's a plausible argument. We're all, we're basically good. God will save everyone. He's a loving God. He forgives. Are those true things? Is God a loving God? Does he forgive? Okay, but somewhere along the line, there's some things missing there, right? 
there, there is some biblical truth in that statement, but it's twisted in other areas. We are not basically good. We are all evil, right? There is no one good, the Scripture says. So that's been twisted. It's, so it sounds plausible, but what's it appealing to? Right, it's, it's elevating man, it's bringing God down. It's appealing to our sense of, our own sense of justice and what's right, right? Our own sense of, I'm not that bad. Um, okay, so definitely that is a plausible argument that has been around for a long time. What are some others? Okay, the way to get to heaven is through lots of good works. That ultimately, that is a part of every, every religious system other than Christianity. Biblical Christianity is the only one that, that teaches works are a result of salvation through Christ and not the means by which we receive salvation. Um, and that is, that is an aspect of most, uh, or I would say all other religious systems. Um, and it comes, it is a part of a plausible argument, right? It makes sense to us. For some reason, it makes sense to us that if I do X, Y, and Z, I will be seen as good, and therefore God will save me. That makes sense, because we sort of live that way with other human beings, right? That's, someone does something good, uh, we, we, we think of them as good. We, we enjoy being around that person because they do these good things, whereas if someone's a jerk and all that, we avoid them. We don't want anything to do with them. So that's kind of how we view things. A plus B equals C, right? Yeah. But with God, that's different because no one is good. Yeah, no one is good. Just Jeannie. Right. Yeah, so the, the idea that you can fall from grace or lose your salvation um, not all, not even all professing Christian uh, churches believe in eternal security. And ultimately, if you teach that, teach or believe that you can lose your salvation, that only leaves you in one place, which is I got to do something to get it back. Works, right? It always goes back to works. Um, other plausible arguments that have been made um, because of the use of Bible-sounding words like God and Jesus and those kind of things, but a twisting of Scripture um, that pulls people away from the truth, but it comes in the form of plausible arguments. We have other religious systems, Jehovah's Witnesses, Mormonism. Um, you know, There's tons of lists of things, but if you just look at some of the things, I have a pretty helpful book here. Uh, if you guys ever get one, it's a Rose book of biblical charts, maps, and timelines, but it's full of a ton of information including a lot about other religious systems, but they kind of give a summary of, of the beliefs of these different religious systems. And so I thought I would just read a couple here because these are part of these plausible arguments. They've been believed over time. So Jehovah's Witnesses, if, if asked about Jesus, what they believe is Jesus is not God. Okay, problem, right? Problem. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Before he lived on earth, he was Michael the archangel, Jehovah made the universe through him. On earth, he was a man who lived a perfect life after dying on a stake, not a cross. He was resurrected as a spirit. His body was destroyed. Jesus is not coming again. 
He returned invisibly in 1914 in spirit. Very soon, he and the angels will destroy all non-Jehovah's Witnesses. You know, we, it, it is kind of funny, but it's sad because it's, a, it's been a plausible argument that has been brought using words that sound like Bible words and people are pulled away into this. That's just what they believe about Jesus. Salvation, they, they say you have to be baptized as a Jehovah's Witness. Most followers must earn everlasting life on earth by door-to-door work. Salvation in heaven is limited to 144,000 anointed ones. This number is already reached. How's that for marketing? Right? But plausible arguments. It wouldn't, if, if it wasn't plausible, they wouldn't have um, so many members. I don't know how many members they have right now, but there's a lot. Um, and it, so they've, they've been pulled away by plausible arguments. Um, in Mormonism, um, Jesus is a separate God from the Father. He was created as a spirit child by the Father and Mother in heaven and is the elder brother of all men and spirit beings, including Lucifer. His body was created through sexual union between Elohim and Mary. Jesus was married. His death on the cross does not provide full atonement for all sin, but does provide everyone with resurrection. Okay, there's a lot of problems in there. Um, but there, it's plausible arguments, and people get, get pulled in. Um, salvation, they say, uh, re- resurrected by grace, but saved, exalted to godhood by works, including faithfulness to church leaders, Mormon baptism, tithing, ordination, marriage, and secret temple rituals. No eternal life without Mormon membership. Okay, these are not biblical truths. You know, though, though they talk about Jesus, they talk about God, it's, it's wrong. It's wrong. And it goes back to what you're saying about Islam, right? The, the Muslim Jesus. They talk about Jesus, but it's not the Jesus of the Bible. Okay. Right. They're, they have their own books. That was what was brought up, and that's very true. And you'll notice similarities between, I'm not even going to go through all the, I have a huge list of these other systems, religious systems, but mostly, how do these things come about? A person gets a vision or a word from God, and they go with it, and they tell people, and people believe this person's vision, and they, all of a sudden, you've got a religious system that grows and grows and grows um, and becomes something, but all because someone didn't have the Word of God or departed from the Word of God into their own, what they thought themselves about how things are and how things work. Okay, so they've departed from, from the truth. Um, those are just some of the plausible arguments. There's other things, you know, like Christian science. It's been said it's not Christian and it's not science. It's true. Um, Jesus was not the Christ, but a man who displayed the Christ idea. Christ means perfection, not a person. Jesus was not God, and God can never become man or flesh. Okay, sounds familiar? The Gnostic heresy that was coming to the Colossian church was about Jesus. There's no way that he could have been human flesh because that would have made him evil. He did not suffer and could not suffer for sins. He did not die on the cross. He was not resurrected physically. He will not literally come back. 
and that's called Christian science. Okay, that is not Christian. Salvation, they say hum- humanity is already eternally saved. Sin, evil, sickness, and death are not real. That's convenient. Right. Yeah. That's true. That, that, is, that is ultimately the problem. We don't learn the Word of God. We don't know the Word of God enough to recognize these, that these plausible arguments are false. <laughs> That's why team is important. It's why church is important, right? Uh, we gather together as believers. We hear the, the public reading of the Word of God. We are taught the Word of God. We sing the Word of God. We pray the Word of God. Um, and we come week after week after week, and hopefully midweek, and we, we get bombarded by truth. That's the idea, and we want to share that with each other all the time and um, you know, prop each other up in the truth all the time. So we don't want to be taken away by plausible arguments, and that's what was going on in this church. Those, that, those arguments were coming in, and Paul is warning them, don't be... Don't be deluded by these things. Don't be deceived by these things. Um, so that's, that's something that's really important. And he's not even done talking about it yet. He's going to be doing more of that as, as we continue on later. Um, not this week, but he's not done with it. And then he says, For though I am absent in the body, verse 5, Though I am absent in the body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Okay, they, they would know what he means by this, and we should understand that it is a reference to the fact that Paul is in prison. He's not, he cannot be with them in person. Therefore, he's absent in body. That's what he's talking about. He says he's with them in spirit. Now, he doesn't mean that he's floating around above their head, you know, watching them and, and all that. What he's talking about there is that they are all united in one and the same spirit of God. He's, he's appealing to their brotherhood with him, sisterhood with him in Christ. Uh, so that's what he means by that. Then he says he's rejoicing over the thought of someday seeing them in person, and he indicates what he looks forward to seeing if that day comes about is your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. And isn't that what he's been pointing to this whole time by talking about the, the source of knowledge and understanding and wisdom is found in Christ, so he's, he's, still, he's still bringing that about. He's still building on that. He wants to see their good order and their firmness of faith in Christ. Um, I believe what he's referring to is that he will see that they have they've heeded his warnings, his teachings, and remained firm in their trust in the biblical Christ and not some false Christ of heretics, not some false Christ of brought about by a plausible argument. Um, Look at Acts 20 with me. 
Acts chapter 20. And I'll start in verse 28. But here, this is Paul's exhortation to the elders at Ephesus. And he indicates not only the charge of elders to guard the truth for themselves, but for the people by implication. And, and really, by implication, all Christians are to guard the truth as well. This should be, it's not just for the elders, though he is directing this to the elders. This is for all of us as Christians. So Acts 20, 28 through 31, okay, he says, Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And here Paul says these things happen because wolves come in. Wolves come in after the sheep. They're twisting God's word to draw them away. And this happens on the sly. right? It happens slowly. It happens under the radar if we're not watching. He says, pay careful attention. And Peter made this very clear. He described this also as being done in secret. In 2 Peter 2.1, he says, But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. Okay, we see that in, in the Colossian church. That's part of what this false teaching is. They're denying Christ. They're denying who he is and that he bought them with a price. And what that does is brings about a swift destruction on those people. Okay, these, they come through plausible arguments. They come because they're secretly brought in. I mean, we hear those words. It should really tell us. It's not somebody who comes in with a bullhorn broadcasting that they're teaching something false. It's over time, it's secretly, meaning you didn't know it. At some point it gets revealed, but by then, it's, for a lot of people, it's too late. They've been steeped in this falsehood, and it's carried them away into error. And that's what Paul's writing against here, this, the false teaching about Christ that denied his true identity, denied his powerful work for salvation. How can we keep ourselves from being blind to these destructive heresies, from being blind to the things that come in? Well, we have to pay attention. Pay attention to ourselves by reading the Word of God. We need to know it. We need to be alert um, and know that, that this is real, right? It's, and it's always going on. Sometimes we can read it here in the Scriptures and think that was happening back then. We don't think of it as happening today. Yes, Absolutely. Absolutely. Paul, he prayed that for, uh, for the people. He prayed that even in chapter 1 here. He prays in a lot of his letters for the people he's writing to. That's an excellent prayer, to pray for wisdom, pray for understanding. Pray that God will help us to be alert, right? Not to be deceived by plausible arguments. But we have to know the Word of God to refute what is false. Um, and that is the, the good order and firmness of faith that Paul wants to see here whenever he might visit the Colossian believers. He, he has not visited them before, but if he does, that's what he wants to see. He wants to see their good order, that, 
that they are following the word of God, living by the word of God, that they are firm in their faith, not shaken by these plausible arguments, um, but, but firm. And the next two verses are, are the response to what he's just said to them. And in other words, because of all that Paul has just taught and warned about, that is why he begins verse 6 with the word, therefore. In verse, let's read verses 6 and 7, he says, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Okay, so Paul takes them back to the beginning, back to the foundation of their faith, which is Christ. He says, as you received Christ, so the question is, how did they receive Christ? How did you receive Christ? What was that? Believing, trusting, another word for faith, right? They received Christ by faith. So also, he says, walk in him. How are they to walk in him? By faith. Right? He's, he's combining those two. As you received Christ, so walk in him. They received him by faith. He's saying, walk in him by faith. That is the way we received him. That is the way we should walk in him. He goes on to say why then, uh, why they should do this. And the answer is in verse 7. Because that is how a Christian must live, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith. What is this? What is meant by that word rooted? What picture do we see there? Okay, roots going down into the ground and they hold on, right? Yeah. So we get this picture. Uh, you could be a plant, could be a tree. I like the tree better. That that idea of a tree whose that's its roots are sunk deep into the ground. That if they're not sunk deep into the ground, what happens to that tree? It withers and dies, right? Rooted, he says, firmly fixed or thoroughly grounded. That's the idea here. This is how our faith is to be, to be sunk deep into the soil of the truth of Jesus Christ and his word. Our faith is to be built up. He talks about being built up, and that is to be continually stacked up on what? If you're building a house, you're stacking up, you're building up on the foundation, right? And that is Christ. So you're building upon this foundation that has already been laid. And Paul says, also established in faith. Again, more language here of stability, firmness, sureness, grounding. He's, he's used a lot of that kind of language through, through chapter 1 and chapter 2. Um, and I think, of course, we can see that there's a pattern here for us to understand. Being in Christ is a sure foundation. It's the only sure foundation. He also reminds them that this is it's what they were taught. It's what they were taught at the beginning. It's how they came to faith in Christ. They received the truth. They were grounded in the truth. Um, they have the truth. And... He does not want them to be pulled away or deluded by plausible arguments. Uh, they were, he says, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. And that, and that should be an ongoing part of our lives as Christians, uh, remembering what Christ did, and as we as we learn more and and talk about it and sing about it, it should always be with thanksgiving. We should always be reminded of 
the person and work of Jesus Christ, and that should, we should abound in thanksgiving and praise for him. That's what he wants the Colossians to know, and it's what we are to know and to understand to be true about Christ and our faith in him. And like I said, Paul's not done on this subject. Uh, as we get going uh, further here, uh, he's going to be talking in verse 8. Uh, about not being taken captive by philosophy and empty deceit and all these kinds of things. So it's the same kind of theme here that Paul continues on. But as usual, uh, the Colossians, and by extension us, we are continually pointed back to Christ, back to the source of all wisdom and knowledge as only in Christ. So I agree with Jan. That should be a good prayer for us to that God will um, guard us and keep us from those things, and he would give us wisdom and understanding. Uh, so let's close in prayer tonight. Father in heaven, we thank you for this night and for your word. Uh, we thank you, Father, first and foremost, that through the preaching and teaching of your word, the gospel, we have come to faith in Christ. We have come to salvation because of the truth. And Lord, we thank you for that. We thank you that you have given us your word, that is the standard. I pray, Lord, that we would measure everything against the standard. Help us, Lord, not to be drawn into error by plausible arguments, by things that would try to convince us they're the truth when they're not. Help us, Lord, to study your word and know your word, to hide your word in our hearts, so that when those destructive heresies come along, Lord, we recognize them right away for what they are, and we can reject them outright, and we can refute those things. We can help others who might be hearing them to know the truth. Your word is truth. We praise you and thank you. Uh, we want you to have all the glory in our lives, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.